Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Well, howdy, y'all. Howdy. Howdy, ma'am. Yep, that's exactly what I wanted. Thank you for playing along. You're speaking my language. It's We're all from Montana originally. It's fine. It's not cultural appropriation. We're from there. What are y'all drinking today? Let's just get straight into it. Me first. I have a nice uh, glass of Diet Coke with three ice cubes specifically. Three. I wanted to make that clear. Ice cubes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Josh, what about you? I made myself an AeroPress of, I'm still drinking my local coffee shops, a blend of Ethiopian and, oh no, I forgot the other one. I think it's Ugandan. I think it's Ugandan and Ethiopian. But now I'm questioning myself. But it's delicious. It is a delicious... African blend from Boon Boon, a coffee here in Seattle. And then I also made myself a LaCroix Mezcal faux margarita. It's mostly LaCroix, a little bit of Mezcal, um, some lemon juice, and a pinch of salt. And it's delicious. There you go. Well, no wonder it took you so long. Well, My God. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were making fun of you for taking a bit. Out of love. To get back to the mics. Um, Out of love. I just cracked open a pint of... The King Al Double India Pale Ale from Equilibrium Brewing. So I'm getting all hoppy up in here. Very powerful 7.9. Ooh. Oof. Uh, yeah, alcohol per volume here. Because we're getting spicy today. I've That's been. my husband's nickname. Spicy? Yep. That, what? Yep. That doesn't surprise me, honestly. I approve. Well, shout out to Spicy. <laughs> shout out to Spicy Redding House. I see Alex Reddinghouse. Big ups. <laughs> or is, I'm sorry, Spicy, his middle name. Is it? Is it Alex, Alex Spicy, Spicy Reddinghouse? Redding. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it sounds better if it's Alex Spicy Reddinghouse. For sure. Spicy is my middle name. Then it sounds like less of just an adjective. Yeah. Anyway, my lord, we're already off to a good start. I love it. I have been reflecting on a few thoughts that our own episode a while back inspired in me, but also I've been having this conversation with my friend, Alex, his name is not spicy, Falcon Grove. He and I speak every week on Voxer and he had some really good thoughts on our in the beginning was the fall episode. Ooh. That kind of kicked off a lot of questions between him and I and I'm ready to bring them to you two. And really the open-ended question to start the discussion is uh what is salvation and what are we saved from? Yeah, that's that's about that cavernous silence was about what I expected, honestly. <laughs> okay. I love it though. I mean, that is a great question. It is just like such it is such a classic Christian question too, right? 
Like, we really <laughs> should define our terms if we're going to be talking about something like this, right? Yeah, it really is. And especially, it really is kind of a, like, a Jesus-centered thing because the discussion very often centers around, like, what people call his salvific work upon the cross and his resurrection. What did that accomplish for us? Did it accomplish anything that is if you assume the resurrection was actually a thing or if Jesus was just like more or less a political insurrectionist who got put down by the state for having alternative views, you know, there's a lot going on there, but it specifically came out of our fall episode because we were discussing like the historicity of Adam and Eve And if they weren't necessarily historical and Genesis does a lot of work to more or less describe like human origins through the metaphor of that whole story, then what are we actually being saved from by the time that Jesus is coming on the stage and has some words about salvation and about being a Messiah, not only to the Jews, but to the entire world, as his apostles liked to say. Hmm. What Jesus do? <laughs> what Jesus do? <laughs> not would. What would Jesus do? Is what Jesus do? So, I guess I'll go first because Emily's not jumping on the mic, and I would love to hear her collected thoughts because I know that. Yeah, give her some time to stew on it. Yes, I've I've noticed this about myself and Emily that both of us do this thing where, like, if we just respond immediately we're like kind of all over the place. And I don't know if it's an Enneagram nine thing or like an ADHD thing, but then like once our thoughts are just like so much more collected, mm-hmm. it's just, in my opinion, gold. Then you knock it out so of the good. park. Absolutely. Yes. Right. So I would prefer to have Emily's collected thoughts and I'll ramble for a second. Great. Quality first- over quantity. That's what I achieve. <laughs> You're taking one for the team. I'm taking one for the team yeah. here. Um, so my <laughs> mind first goes to, I think it is a completely valid theological interpretation to believe that Jesus primarily is speaking about, and Paul is speaking about saving us from ourselves, especially if you have a view of sin that views sin as harm, either to yourself or to others. And if you really want to, I think that you can have a metaphorical view of both the fall and Jesus and still have that view. I also think that you can have a more literalist view of Jesus and the gospels and even the fall Mm. and still have that view. I think that that is, in my opinion, that is what the Bible is trying to primarily communicate, regardless of someone's theological views otherwise. I think that the Bible is telling us about, I I think that it is using what I view as a metaphor of salvation, as in like we are, it is like we are being saved from the harm that we have caused. Hmm. Oh, okay. And not necessarily God saving us mechanistically from an external being that is trying to drag us down into the pits of hell. I think that that is a very, I was going to say romanticized view, but that's not quite the right word. Yeah. Um, narrativized. But um, you see, you see how twisted this gets in both fall theology and atonement theology immediately, right? Because yeah. when you say we have a metaphor of like Christ was saving us from ourselves in some way, like we've caused harm to the earth. We've caused harm to our fellow human Right, we are not loving our neighbor, and now mm-hmm. we have this new injection of vision to say we should love our neighbor, yes, and also our enemy, which is like the extra crazy part of Jesus's message. But we're still coming against to like we're saving, we're being saved from ourselves, but we're immediately back to the question of like 
were we always causing harm? Were we not supposed to be and something went wrong? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, I think those are fun discussions about the fall and everything like we did on that mm-hmm. episode. And I think that's interesting too, but I also don't think that you have to dive down that rabbit hole to like have a view of salvation as we are being saved from selflessness and to selflessness. Oh, I like that. Like, I, I've even heard like conservative pastors talk about that. Like that is primarily yeah. what the gospel's about, which is funny because like, <laughs> I feel like people usually, like to your point, Stephen, I think people usually talk about salvation in this very like grandiose event, like very straightforward mechanism of like Jesus did X. Like we were just talking about on our episode about advice. A like, plus ver- B equals C. Yeah. yeah, like a very results driven formula versus like a trajectory. And I think it's very possible to like have the theological view and be valid as a Christian or in general, that the idea of the gospel and salvation is primarily about the trajectory of selflessness mm-hmm. and saving other people from yourself. Good Lord. That's a tweet. That feels so good to me. Okay. I'm glad. Yep. I mean, people will argue yep. against that for sure. Like people don't like the idea that of distilling it down to saving you from yourself. And uh, granted, I think that it becomes grander than that for sure. But I think that's valid. I, yeah. And I think it's because we don't want to be seen as the problem. We don't want to be seen as doing something Ooh, wrong. I like that framework. I think that can go both ways, too. Like, that can be good mm-hmm. and bad. Uh, like, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Are you saying, like, we prefer a scapegoat yes. rather than owning our shit for ourselves? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Renee Gerard. I think we also like the vindication. Like, that's what I heard Emily saying at first is like, we like to be vindicated Vindicated. or saved Mm -hmm. from guilt or from wrongdoing and we like to be able to say well i'm not that way anymore yeah and that is both good and bad like that can be both be used for life or for abuse Mm. Mm -hmm. okay emily have we reached a point of collected thoughts i believe so i believe so um you know my brain in hearing this conversation the first thing that came to mind because i am not a calvinist uh, so I would be intrigued what? to hear your perspective on this. I know, right? Isn't that a shocker? Um, <laughs> the idea of one saved, all saved. like Ooh, okay, yeah. Like, how does that fit in with... Interesting that you go here. Salvation. Because when I hear that, I hear that as, well, it's done. You don't need to worry about it. You can basically fuck up all you want because you're good. Like, you scratched off your ticket and... That feels icky to me. Like that feels really icky to me. Like an antinomian stance. Yo, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have permission to do whatever I want now because I know I can flash this badge at the gates of heaven and be admitted. Because then, when trying to answer the question, that really is like the spiritual. It's like it's like white privilege, but spiritual. Well, yeah, because then when when you ask the question, what are we being saved from? When I hear that phrase, it's, well, it doesn't matter. Like, why should I care what I'm being saved from if I'm already good? I got it locked up. Yeah. Like, okay. I can give two shits what I'm saved from. <laughs> I've got my ticket. I'm good to go. Yeah. And it, I think, takes away our, I don't want to say duty. <laughs> duty. Why not? Um, wow. It takes away our... I almost spit out my drink when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> it takes away our push or our call to be active and participatory in 
life and huh. in faith and in spirituality. Why mm. do you shy away from the word duty then and not in like the elementary school way of laughing at well, it? Well, <laughs> I think because that word is oftentimes linked and used militaristically and combatively in Ooh. Christian spoke versus not militaristic and combative. <laughs> but okay, so substitute responsibility. Okay, yeah. I think call yeah. is also an acceptable word. I was just curious about duty. Yeah, because, you know, I can hear the connotation of like, you have a duty to serve your country or whatever when mm-hmm. you enlist. But at the same time, I think there is room for that language. Not that I want to self-describe as like a warrior in God's army or whatever, which is how I was raised in Awana to think about myself. It was very militaristic when it came to the idea of evangelism, Cause, mm-hmm. right? Because we were saving people from the fires of hell, right? Like we, fires of hell. Yeah. we were the, the heroes snatching people who were dangling on the spider web above the flaming pits, you know? Thank you, Jonathan Edwards, for that terrible image of... <laughs> A loving God or angry God. So like, I understand that. I think something about duty actually feels right to me though, in the sense of like James, the book of James has an argument of like your faith without works is dead. Like you, you do actually have call it a call, call it a responsibility or a duty to actually like live as if your convictions were true, like act this out. You can't, just rest on your laurels of once saved always saved like i got this taken care of right you got to match your audio to your video kind of idea Mm, okay right well and i think that that's where like different interpretations of salvation can affect other ideas like the Mm -hmm. once saved always saved thing i don't think like it feels too simplified if you have the idea that you are being saved from selfishness like you could make an argument that like you are always going to be on the right trajectory. Like once you just like are even thinking about it, like even if you quote unquote falter, like if you're not focused on results, you're more focused on trajectory and like moving towards the right direction and like, like continuing to go back onto the path. Like you could make an argument that like you are always going to be that way and be thinking about it, even if you like straight off quote unquote, but like it feels different than Hmm. Like, but you could also make an argument that like, well, you could return back to selfishness. Like you could make a conscious choice yeah. to like not keep, keep pursuing that. But I feel like it feels different, even if like you're getting using that framework through your interpretation of salvation, it still feels different to me than the mechanistic view of salvation as in like God is like fundamentally changing Oh man, well that could like go both ways. Like I was going to say like God is changing your like salvation status for your mm. reservation in heaven. Like the once saved always saved framework feels more like, well do I still have a reservation? Yeah. Like is God still like saving a place for me kind of thing? Like the ramifications feel different, I guess. And I think that's why coming from my faith perspective as a United Methodist, it's not it's that idea but it's not on God's plate or you know, agenda to make sure the reservation is still there. It's us. We determine if the reservation is still valid or open. Like, Said the free will believer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, no, but I hear what you're saying. Because if grace and salvation is basically an offer of love from God, God does not take that away. So 
using the language we were just now using, the reservation is always there. It's whether or not we take it up. Like, do we actually go through with it or are we going to chicken out? And, you know, then like we Mm. missed out on having that reservation. So inside the Calvinist paradigm, I feel like a lot of what you're describing and what you have been describing, Josh, is what uh, systematic theologians like to call more of the sanctification side rather than Jesus accomplished something concrete Mm -hmm through justification Mm. on the cross and resurrection right sure like there was a way of like dividing that out to say like you can't undo what jesus did he did it it's over right and like maybe that's where we get to rest in once saved always saved but then there's this process that we call sanctification of like this is actually what it means to like get your life in line with the trajectory that jesus had in mind that he would call like the kingdom of God. Emily, do you like that distinction at all? Do Methodists hold to justification versus sanctification or are the lines a lot more blurry? No, they're not blurry. Okay. So you, you do have the same like classes there. Yes. Did I frame those well? Yeah. So justify in the United Methodist language, justifying grace reconciles us to God. Like it incorporates us into the body of Christ and it sets us on a journey towards wholeness. Whereas sanctifying grace continuously forms us in the likeness of Christ and sheds the love of God in our hearts, through our actions and in our relationships. Uh, So like justifying grace is what like spins you around and puts you on the right road sanctifying grace is the guardrails on that road so you don't fall off yeah basically okay so that's actually pretty similar to calvinists uh, besides the glaring issue of like i used to think that we didn't have any choice in that matter and that it was just god who like elected us to those positions and to those paths yeah pretty big pretty big issue but I'm also thinking in terms of atonement theories, because Emily, I thought you did a really good job in that fall episode about saying like, yeah, I mean, like depending on what you think the fall is, that's going to shape how you think of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. So like some atonement theologies would lead us to a place of salvation being uh, more or less God is saving us from his own wrath and from himself in a way, because he has this holy and just need to be away from sin and if you are still riddled with sin you cannot be in his presence right mm-hmm. so there it's like you're saved from himself in some atonement theologies the other one that alex and i have been talking about a lot shout out again to alex is the christus victor one being like saved from death functionally and kind of the question that's been on my mind for the last week or so is like is death all that bad actually though Because in some, in many interpretations of the world, I would even go so far as to say like what I've learned specifically from reading Braiding Sweetgrass uh, for our Ravel book club, where we were talking through that book, a lot of like indigenous wisdom comes out. And one of the things the author shares is like death is part of the cycle of like you give yourself back to the earth to nourish the next generation of trees and humans as they like grow tomatoes in the soil that was your body at one point you know it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of cyclical nature to it and i think there's a way of looking at hey we've been saved from death in that atonement view maybe death isn't all that bad though 
And well, we have just been taught to be afraid of it because a certain interpretation of Genesis has taught us that death was never part of the plan. A, a spiritual death. Okay, so this is even you you immediately want to divide it away from like the concept of like a spiritual afterlife. Well, I mean, like literal death is not bad because there there is new life even from dying, you know? Like if humans lived on forever, right? We would see the consequences of then we would be overpopulating the world. We wouldn't have enough sustenance because we couldn't keep up with the growing lives that are now, you know, populating the world. And so a literal death is not the same as a spiritual death. When we die as beings, like we literally croak, have a heart attack, die of cancer, whatever the case may be, when we die, right, the organic parts of us do benefit some way, right? I think it's referring to the spiritual death. When we intentionally decide to cause harm, to hate our neighbor, to destroy creation, to ensure that love is not abundant and present and known in the hearts of people, and we are selfish, and we are gluttonous, and we are indulging for the sake of ourselves and not caring for others, that's dying. Like You are killing yourself in a way that is not reducing harm, but inflicting harm. And I Mm. think that's the type of death that we're speaking to, because even in creation, like, I don't think it was framed to be we're going to have all these things growing and then never die. And they're just going to keep going and going and going, going into the point where it's like overpopulating and so consuming that there's no room for more like that. We need to have room for more. So like things need to fall away. Things need to die. Like it's the circle of life for a reason. It's not this linear of life. It's it's a process. Because mm. I don't think death is bad. Death is. And we hear that when we hear like death isn't the end. And that's to give hope. Like, hey, yeah, you may be scared of literally dying because you don't know what's going to come after, but just know that there is something after. We don't know what that looks like. But the idea of spiritually dying, where you are no longer holding each other in love and in compassion, and you're no longer justice-oriented or mercy-seeking, that is mm. terrifying to me. Yeah. That's that's more scary than literally dying. So there there is something existential about it, right? Like, the physical death there is, yeah. happening in concurrence with the spiritual death. And in a certain way, you could frame the whole idea of baptism of like, you are electing to spiritually die now and find life in something else rather than postpone that for the moment of your physical death as well. Right? In a way, yeah. There was also some way you just said it, though, where it was like, that. that's why we tell ourselves like death is not the end like we're like we want to hold on to some hope of that after i guess or you don't know what comes next and like the way that struck me just now was like man i i understand what people are talking about of like yeah i mean you can hold on to that all you want almost in terms of like a like an opiate of the masses of like man if it helps you get over the existential dread of non-existence more power to you We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. 
If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. I feel like I was grown up with raised. I was raised with you the were idea grown that, up with <laughs> with the idea that death is a doorway, and clearly that was you know meant to describe like a transition to heaven. But I do think it is very. Even though my views of the afterlife have now shifted quite a bit, I do think that it's a very life giving way of looking at death. And to Emily's point, I think it's also a very life giving way of looking at spiritual death. Like life is in on the other side and dying to yourself, which like Christians love to talk about. Like Christians yes. can really get on board with the idea of dying to yourself, but for some reason, the language of like you are being saved from yourself doesn't hit. And I don't understand why, because it, it seems so similar to me. And, but I do think that that is still a very life-giving view, even if you're only talking about, oh, quote unquote, only, not that it's lesser, but if, if mm-hmm. you're just talking about spiritual death. And I, to be honest, I get why some of these terms either seem so ubiquitous or like to piecemeal because like the language of being born again in some ways implies like some form of like death or like recreation or for lack of a better word reincarnation like you're being formed into something new and the old has died or passed away and like that being mixed in with the language of salvation i think it's interesting and to me it feels really clear that like people are trying to put words to their existence as a human and their existence as a person of faith and trying to pursue what they think is true. And I think that's what's so fascinating to me about the word salvation too, is like, I think that it's really interesting to like, think of yourself as being saved because I think that it directly implies like, well, what were you saved from or what were you saved for? Like, how are you different now? And like, those are all really interesting questions. And for some people, that kind of stuff is really, really obvious. Like, I feel like I grew up hearing so many testimonies of like, well, I was like saved from a life of drugs and like I was on the path of destruction. And if I hadn't turned my life around, I was probably going to spend my, the rest of my life in prison. And like, that's mm. crazy. Like that is absolutely amazing and huge. And like that has happened for so many people. But then there are also probably the majority of Christians do not have that story. Like, so many of us grew up in the church and like we do not have this kind of like very visceral salvation from something external of ourselves that was very clearly an external power almost like a uh uh oh shoot what's satan's nickname what's the one nickname not the uh not the advocate in job the son of light um, angel of light beelzebub the enemy, you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> right. almost like it was like another entity the outside adversary. of yourself that was dragging you down. Yeah, the adversary. 
Yes. Thank you. Got it. That's the word I was looking for. What, you weren't looking for Beelzebub just now? No, I was not looking for Beelzebub. No, no, no. <laughs> like, almost like that person had an adversary external to themselves that they were snatched away from. And like that salvation language is very visceral for that person, I think. Mm. But there are so many of us who do not have that, either because we grew up in the church, and so we don't remember not being a Christian, or like we just never had that kind of terrible life experience and abuse and trauma. And this is a harder one too. I think some people have experienced that, but they have been saved from the church and they, like mm. their adversary was the church and that's where their abuse and trauma was. And I think that that's why this language feels so finicky to a lot of people because like they feel like they followed that trajectory of Jesus and selflessness to go outside of the church. Mm. Sure. I think that's why it's really tricky too. Yeah. Cause there's, there's something to be said of, right. You have the trauma of an addiction or something like that, that you can turn around. There is also a way of describing some of that. Like I personally, I grew up in the church and I don't personally choose to call it religious trauma that I was raised with, but I remember moments in my extremely early life, but I'm talking probably like five, six, seven when I was going to Sunday school and learning about all these things, salvation being kind of like always top of the list for us. And I remember for years I would pray essentially the sinner's prayer, right? To be saved because I never knew if the last one I prayed was going to be the one that stuck. So there was a lot of fear in like, if I don't make sure I'm saved, if I don't make sure like this is the last thought I have before I go to bed, right? Because I had Sunday school teachers saying like, if you don't pray this prayer, like you might go to sleep tonight and never wake up and what would happen? And uh, that, that inspired a lot of fear in me. And that kind of, I think was a huge formative path for me, even in terms of my personality becoming a lot more like Enneagram one perfectionist rather adhere to the rules. I like the rules because they give me guardrails, all those kind of things of like, Oh, I, I definitely want to do that. Cause I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't rather than being taught something about like discovering what is life giving for myself. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's what you brought up Josh just now when you suggested that maybe some of us are saved from the church. Cause that's the legacy that the church handed me at an early age. And I feel like it's taken me almost 20 years to get to a point where I'm not riddled with nightly anxiety about that. Mm. Can we return to physical death, spiritual death mm -hmm. and all the rest? Because correct me if I'm wrong. I, we've done episodes in the past where the two of you are kind of iffy at best or don't believe that there is like a resurrection of the dead or afterlife. Correct. Correct. Do you still feel like you're kind of in that position? I'm iffy, yeah. Iffy. Like, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I, I just want to return to that idea because, like, it sounds good, and especially, it's an especially attractive alternative to penal substitutionary atonement to say Christus Victor is the answer to that, and that, like, Christ overcomes the ultimate enemy, which is death. And I've really been questioning this week, like, is death? death the actual enemy spiritual or physical i'm almost not convinced that it is anymore 
I'm just kind of in a place of like questioning even that position of like, it's easy to bias life given that we are living organisms, right? But in the same way, there's something about like, I've experienced life now and I can say pretty resolutely and with not a lot of trepidation or anxiety that I don't remember the experience of non-being before I was born. And if that's all that death is, like, I don't know why it still gives me a sense of dread to think about, I will once again be returning to that space of non-consciousness at death, physical, spiritual, or otherwise. And that's what I interpret inside myself is like, there's something about me that considers death the enemy, Mm. but I'm wrestling with like what, I don't know. I almost want to use the phrase of just in the same way God was like, who told you you were naked to Adam and Eve in the story? It's like, who told you death is supposed to be something you're afraid of? Mm. You know? I think that's the funny thing about people talking about salvation too, is I think that people, when talking about Jesus saving us, there's often such a focus on like, Jesus saved us from sin and death. But like, sin and death clearly exist still, like no matter your interpretation. And I think... To your point, I think that that makes it seem like death is still the enemy somehow, even though like most Christians believe that death is a doorway to the afterlife. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even if you interpreted that as like the second death or hell or like something like that, I think that it's still confusing because like how, how does Jesus save us from death then even still? And then to your point about like spiritual death, like why would Jesus be saving us from spiritual death if spiritual death is what we need to do to become born again. So like it feels really elusive, I think in a lot of ways, like trying to nail down like what Jesus is saving you from in relation to death. Like is Jesus mm-hmm. calling us to die to ourselves or is he saving us from dying to ourselves? Yeah, yeah, and that's I guess that's what I was trying to say with Emily earlier of like Something about being born again is to choose born again and to be baptized is to say both verbally and in this like physical sacramental visual of like, I am electing to die now and not postpone this to the end. I think there's an idea of like, this is going to give you a new lens on life because you get to kind of live inside the reality of like, I will die, but I am dead. You know, like a lot of Paul's language is like, I was dead in my transgressions. Now I live through Christ. And like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in a place where I'm questioning the afterlife right now because maybe the only resurrection we will experience is understanding that we will die. And if we can get a grip on that earlier in life, wouldn't that make the rest of your life all the richer to like inspire you to a pure, presence of awareness to appreciate the moment that's in front of you bring gratitude to every situation and learn to kind of like roll with it like is that if that's the only resurrection that i'm going to experience i'm in a place in my life right now where i'm becoming a lot more comfortable with that my brain is stuck (laughs) where is it stuck what are you like it's the the idea of baptism and death because i don't see it that way Oh, okay. It's not, for me, it's not the sense of you are dying now. It's, I see it more as a, it's a cleansing. It's like a wound that is infected rather than necessarily 
negating the wound or ignoring the wound. It's addressing the wound like you're you're cleaning it out. You bandage it in hopes that it'll heal. Right. And like things can go awry along the way. Like if if you don't tend to it after the initial cleaning and wrapping of it, like things can go wrong and then you take the steps necessary to like address it and you keep going. And that's a process of healing and coming to completeness, not being the same as it was before. Like there's going to be a scar, but like there's going to be something new there. Like it's new skin that's formed, right? It's not just old skin that Mm. remains. And so like for, for me, baptism is just basically this means of an individual along with a community to say you are starting on this journey of healing, of moving forward, right? But you're not dead, like you're not dying physically or spiritually. It's just, it just is. And I think that's because if I, you know, baptizing Thea, like she was not aware or was making the choice of like, yep, I am dying so I can live anew. She had no concept at four months old of what any of that meant. Mm. But what she saw was her mother and her father and a community of people who love her do something to invoke a sense of we love you and are going to continue to love you and nurture you through this journey that is life. And you will witness things like death. You will witness things like hatred and oppression and injustice and we are going to walk with you in the ways that are life-giving, in ways that are merciful and compassionate and caring and loving and guide you through life. Not because you're starting over, like you're starting now. <laughs> like you, you are making a choice to say yes, like your journey begins now. It's not, it's not a reset or a start over like Mario Hmm. Yeah, I guess the way I've been speaking of baptism is a lot more in the framework of like a confessional based approach rather than a like uh, pedo baptism approach. Yeah. Not to just pull a people disagree about this thing, but I think Stephen's question originally about like what is salvation and like who is it for, I think is so fascinating because like I think that that is what Christians argue about. Yes. It's like <laughs> over the last... 2000 years it's like, it's like one of okay. the main questions yeah for sure <laughs> it's like somehow this like idea developed and like it's pretty apparent in scripture that like there's something along these lines that is happening and i feel like the debate has been how are we being saved and from what are we being saved and like the calvinists are going to have a very different answer than someone mm. who is into liberation theology like a liberation theologian would say we are being saved from oppression and that's the whole point of the gospel is to save the oppressed and like destroy all oppression that's mm-hmm. the point that's what jesus is calling us to mm. and someone from a calvinist point of view is going to see it differently and i think that what is interesting and compelling to me about christianity is like there is this concept of being saved from something <laughs> and i still think that that's compelling in some ways like yeah. whether it's from yourself or from external entity, or both. Like, I think that this idea of, like, it's not just self-improvement. Like, if Christianity was just mm. about self-improvement, like, it wouldn't be worded this way. 
And yeah, definitely. I think that's compelling. And I think that it's also interesting that Christians disagree about it. <laughs> like, it's also not straightforward somehow. Like, after the last 2000 years, like, we, like, people still disagree about something that seems so fundamental to Christianity. So, I, my concluding thought is going to be that I think that we just need to have like more room for disagreement on it because the reality is Christians can't agree on it. Yeah. Whether it's death mm. or being saved from yourself or from others or the mechanism of justification and sanctification and or or whether or not we should even be that piecemeal about it it's not all agreed upon mm-hmm. but it's mysteriously there and i also think that the mystery of it is compelling i would say my concluding thought along with what josh just said because that was very poignant very good oh thank you i would say across all atonement theories across all scopes of salvation and understandings of salvation i would say one thing that is universal with all of those is the idea of god loving us so much and wanting to be in relationship with us whether that's through god directly or through each other and that just pushes me to actually care for my neighbor and to love my neighbor more because if however you view it god willing to die for your sins and however you want to frame that What I get from that is an entity or a being or someone who loves me enough and wants to be in relationship with me enough to do something like die, something that physically, like speaking biologically, is permanent, (laughs) that to experience that, the idea of laying down your life for someone should push you and motivate you to say, you know what? Yeah, I really should love my neighbor more. Like, I really should care for creation more. I really should, you know, seek justice and be merciful and compassionate. I should resist injustice, evil, and oppression in all forms they present themselves. (laughs) Like, that should be compelling. And if it's not, then you might want to take a step back and look at why should you care if you aren't going to care. Like, what's the point of all of it then, if nothing? Wow. Yeah, I don't know if I have much to add. I I think you guys could probably tell that this is kind of like a, I don't want to say extra vulnerable topic for me right now, but like I, this is one of those thought processes that is so, like I'm in the middle of it. I haven't hit a conclusion, but as is the case with, everything in life i guess like i at one point thought i had salvation licked i thought i knew exactly what it was i thought i knew exactly what it was for what it was from you know and i think today and your guys's openness to like engaging the question that might feel a little bit like rehashed or josh you said it like i this is like one of the main things that christians argue about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like yeah and i feel like that just gets glazed over i mean I've, i say that about everything but yeah and yet absolutely this and yet it feels so real to me right now and so fresh as if i've never asked the question before like what is salvation from or for i think that is refreshing it really is you know i think there's a lot of fear that has visited me over the last week kind of like stewing on this question and that's no one's fault right you know like i know alex is listening alex you did not instill a new sense of existential dread in me but it it would be easy 
I think it is easy to come back to a topic like this and be afraid of taking another look at it. Much in the same way of like a lot of neuroscience tells us that the act of remembering something is in fact changing the memory of it as if like you're going to take it down off the shelf and every time you encounter a memory you take a book off the shelf and make an extra mark or add another letter and eventually that becomes another word and eventually the memory has like changed and it might not be exactly like how things presented themselves to you in the moment and yet it's still the memory that you hold on to i feel like revisiting some of these topics can sometimes give a sense of fear or trepidation in the sense of like, man, I thought I had this solved and I'm, there's a sense of like, I'm annoyed with myself that I haven't figured this out yet. And also there's a sense of like, yeah, man, I mean, you're fucking, you're 28 years old. What do you think was going to happen? <laughs> what did, you, you thought you weren't going to ever wrestle with this thing again? Or like, you thought that you were going to have it so settled that you could just move on to other things. Like, again, the point is like, this is a question that comes up for so many people so often. And it is like kind of, it, it is at the core of like, are you a Christian or not? I feel like at least some people approach it that way. And in that way, uh, it's inspired some, some extra questions for me, but I think it's important to, revisit these and kind of like re-challenge whatever assumption you're operating on, whether that assumption has lasted since you were seven years old or 17 or 27, you know, like, and I use those as specific numbers for me because those were kind of formational years in my life. Weird that they end in seven, by the way. Anyway, um, yeah, I guess just thank you to for this. Yeah, you're discussion. welcome. Thank you. I loved it. That's what this is all about. Even if we bring this topic up again next week, like we're supposed to have these conversations and maybe have new perspectives or maybe have moments of ahas and wowzers. That was crazy to think about. And like this, this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. So don't ever feel bad or crazy for bringing up topics, even if we've already hashed it out, because we don't have all the answers. Like clearly we don't have all the answers. The fact that we keep having thoughts and reoccurring thoughts on certain topics means that we are really wanting to just dive deep in understanding and meaning and hopefully find meaning at the end of it all but we don't know when the end of all of that will be so just keep doing that Stephen. that's what we're here for you then we're gonna do the same with you 